Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have the pleasure today of speaking to Dr. Michelle Levitt, who is my guest, and she is a pediatrician who's been practicing for over 20 years. She has a mission to help families get healthier by bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Her passion for families is to help them be happy, healthy, and full of energy, and she is skilled to empower you through education, inspiration, and positive energy coaching. Dr. Levitt is uniquely qualified as a physician and a fitness professional. She is board certified in both pediatrics and obesity medicine, and she's also a certified personal trainer and group fitness instructor, and so much more. I have actually personally been able to participate in some of her programs and coaching and recently had the opportunity to listen to a video that she posted on Facebook about combating COVID. Thank you so much, Dr. Levitt, for joining me today on my show. Thank you for having me. Can I just say this is a great platform for our podcast. I'm so glad you started it. Thank you. So getting into the COVID, um, I the video was entitled Five Steps to Combat COVID. And when I work with families and clients and patients, I usually work in what I call the five pillars of health. And I've just noticed that those five areas have tended to get ignored over this pandemic. Over the past 18 months, it's been really hard for families. And it's not really talked about in the media too much. And in the uh, healthcare system, we're just too busy. We don't have enough time to really take as much time as we would want to with families to delve into these five areas. So the five areas that I use as pillars for health are number one, optimizing nutrition, number two, physical activity and movement, number three, quality sleep, number four, prioritizing mental health, and then number five, your environment. So your physical and social influences, what we're letting into our mind and our bodies. And so Everyone thinks, oh, yeah, we've heard of those. You're supposed to just eat healthy and exercise more. And Sounds blah, easy, blah, right? Blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> so, but what I try to tell families, let's think outside the box, but and also let's think, these are, we know these things, we've heard about these things, but are we doing these things? Right. That's the key. Are we doing these things? And doing them consistently. Yes. Yes. Taking action, actually. And so taking action on all five things can be really overwhelming, right? And so I tell families, let's just focus on one area. Pick one of the five pillars and let's do one small thing and we'll keep working and taking action and being consistent until we feel like that's a great new lifestyle for us. And then we'll move on and add another thing. So don't feel like you have to do all of it all at once. That's a great idea because I think sometimes that when you try to do too much, then you feel like a failure when you can't get it all done and you just kind of throw up your hands or or you even like walk out of the doctor's office or the coach's office and you just think, I can't do all of this, like forget it. Or I'm never going back to that exercise class because it was too much. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And we don't want you to feel like a failure. And we, we do feel like that a lot because we're trying to accomplish all of it all at once. So the key is small, tiny little changes done consistently over time. And I do feel like you need the, the help and support of a coach or a friend or someone to hold you accountable that's also pursuing health and wellness because it's, it's so hard to do it alone. Don't do this journey alone. That's super important. Yeah, sometimes when I it's I don't mean to say misery loves company, but it's it, that's one way to think about it, you know. But I, I I guess we should put a positive twist on that. I'm always trying to be positive that really when you do do it together, it, it's always better and it's more fun. Absolutely. So yeah. how do we help families do that? Let's let's. I mean, we've talked a lot about nutrition in some of our other podcasts, mm-hmm. but. Let, how do you help families maybe go start with a little bit of nourishing? I think in, in the podcast, you talked about beverages and how that's one thing that you can make a change in and it makes a big impact. Yeah. So, so nutrition can be an overwhelming thing to tackle because we're busy, we're overwhelmed, we're confused by all the health claims and the food marketing. So I usually talk to families about changing two really high yield areas So, well, first of all, we want to actually nourish our kids. We don't want to just feed them. And the number one thing I have people do is work towards unprocessing the diet. So like eating minimally processed food, um, whole foods. And I do that one step at a time because that is one thing that's universal amongst all platforms. So you hear like, should I do carnivore? Should I do paleo? Should I do keto? Should I do vegan? Should I do vegetarian, plant-based? What is universal amongst all of those stances is that everyone needs to be eating less ultra processed food, which is easier said than done. So I usually have families do a stepwise approach and I'll start number number one first with a drink. So you mentioned the drinks because number one, it's a very easy change. It's simple. I wouldn't say it's easy for some people, yeah. but it's simple. Um, it's a very high yield change is just stopping sugar sweetened beverages in your kids. So that includes juice. Anything that's sweetened, of course, energy drinks, pop. And the easy thing about it is you you as the parent are 100% in control. If you do not buy that sugary drink, the kids cannot drink it. So Correct. If all that's available to in your home is water and milk or if you do dairy, your kids have to drink it. Yeah. But if you provide all these things and expect them to have control, it's not going to happen. So number one high yield is sugary drinks. So I usually tend to shy away from the diet drinks and the artificially sweetened drinks and the sugar-free drinks because there's a million of those too. If you go to the drink aisle, you're just like, I can't believe there's this many different drink options Um, because I really want people to just, water's free, it's readily available, it's cheaper than buying all these extra drink additives. And the other ones, even though they're artificially sweetened and they don't technically have sugar, they still are sending sweet signaling to your kids' taste buds and brains. And then it's really hard for them to break um, other eating habits. Yeah, they still so, kind of get the cravings yes, and yes. want the sugar. And they sugar. want the sweet, and then it takes more and more sweet to satisfy because they're so hyper palatable. Um, and also, it's just, a, I, I use it as a stepwise if we need to. So right. like if, you, if you're drinking 12 regular Mountain Dews a day, Yes. Then yes, a reasonable step down would be let's go to diet Mountain Dew and then maybe off. So sometimes there there is a tool for some diet drinks and sugar free drinks, but when you have when you have young children, it's easier just to do cold turkey. And I would encourage parents and caregivers to do the same thing. Again, it mm-hmm. comes down to doing it together. Yes. And it's much easier if the child sees you doing it, they're more likely to to do it as well. Mm-hmm. I I think um again, when we do it together, it's so much easier. And 
talking about the other pillars of health, water helps with a lot of the other things like sleep and our mental health. And we really, we really kind of don't give water enough credit. It helps with our digestive system, our skin, you know, it helps us sleep better. So many different things. And, and, um, we could all do a little bit better. It, it's so funny when I talk to kids and, or especially teens, and I'll, and I'll say, you know, oh, do you, you know, do you think you drink enough water? And they're like, oh yeah, I do. And I'll say, well, how much? You know, and it, they're they're pretty shocked when they realize just how much they should be drinking. So, mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent way. And like you said, not easy, but it's a it's a great start to and and it does have a huge impact by cutting back all of those sugars. Um, I know sometimes when you see those pictures where it shows like how many teaspoons are in some of the pop and it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's very eye opening. I use, I do that as a visual aid in my practice. Like I'll have the actual sugar and I show the people, I show the parents how much sugar is in, and the kids too. The kids are very fascinated by it, but I actually show them the volume of white sugar that's even in juice and they're, it's the same as sweet tea. So they're very shocked. Like I thought juice was healthy. <laughs> so I just teach people, you don't have to worry about reading labels or figuring out what's healthy if you're just choosing water. So yeah. it's simple. And it's free, like you said. I yeah, love that. Simple and free. Yeah. Now, what was the second pillar? The second? So the second pillar or the second high-yield nutrition change? Um, either one. Okay, so so nutrition, the, the two, the top two, so drinks for sure. And then the next change I have people work on is breakfast. Okay, most yeah. of the time I'm telling people, stop eating dessert for breakfast <laughs> because most breakfast foods are sweet, they're junky. And again, we're getting into the sugar and sugar weakens our immune system. So if we want to fight against COVID, we need to have the strongest immune system possible. So we want to really cut back on the sugar. So also the, we typically our kids will eat a sugary breakfast and then they get a crash and then they're either they're in school by then. So they're either falling asleep in class, they're hyper having behavior issues, half out of it, just can't pay attention. That's because of the sugar crash. So I tell parents, let's try to replace a sugary breakfast with a protein breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I really try to get them to do a protein, a fiber from a fruit or a vegetable and a healthy fat. So they have a really balanced meal and then it keeps a sustained blood sugar for a longer period all the way through to lunch. So so that's a really high yield change is stop eating dessert for breakfast. I love that. That's a great way yeah. to say it. Mm-hmm. I um. I had a friend when she was listening to one of the other podcasts and she's going to giggle when she hears this, that she said, I guess that means I can't have pop tarts for breakfast anymore. So I'm sorry, my dear friend, you can't. And by the way, I used to feed my kids pop tarts because I was not always like health and fitness guru that I am now. No, I understand. I was, you know, kind of busy pursuing my career and found myself like after my two kids in my 40s, feeding my kids junk, busy, trying to build my career, letting my own health go, gaining weight, not feeling the best. And that's when I kind of had a pivotal moment of, I need to start taking charge of my health. Because number one, I'm role modeling for my kids. And two, I'm role modeling for my patients. So that's when I kind of got my own health in order. And that's when I switched to specializing in childhood obesity. That's excellent. And, you know, it does. It, I, I've said this before. It starts from the top. Mm-hmm. And we really do need to model and do our best, you know. And again, does it mean that you can't have some of the time, you know, have a special occasion? Maybe it's every once in a while donuts after Sunday church, but it shouldn't be every weekend or every day or something like that. But right. Absolutely. Because you want to really tap into more intuitive eating. You don't want to be so restrictive that your kids then try to like gorge out when they're not with you because you're so restrictive. So there is definitely a healthy balance. Excellent. 
So let's go on to the second pillar then. So the second pillar is um, physical activity or movement. So I tell families, because what we, te- what we tend to tell families as physicians or health professionals, you need to get 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a day. That's the guideline. It sounds overwhelming. Well, first of all, 60 minutes, people are like, what? I don't have time for that. <laughs> Two, what does moderate to vigorous even mean? So like that is, a, like, that is the recommendation. That's the guideline. But that's not what we should be telling families. So what I've been really focusing with families is let's focus on sitting less and moving more. And by the way, all movement counts. Okay. So they revised the physical activity guidelines. And it used to be that you had to work in 10 to 15 minute increments to count as like a bout of exercise. And now even a minute counts, like all frequent, all intervals count. So I tell families every single bit of movement counts. So if you park far away and walk, if you walk around your school, you have a lot of walking at your school, you have recess, you have gym, you have a sport after school, you have a trampoline, all movement counts. You go for a walk as a family. So I tell families, you don't need more ideas. Like people are always like, I need more ideas. Mm-hmm. Just get out and walk. It's free. Again, another thing that's free, <laughs> get out and walk and do it together as a family. But all movement counts. So if we can just focus on sitting less and moving more, we're doing worlds of benefit for our health. It doesn't have to be the 60 minutes of like exercise that just seems so miserable. So I tell families, just start moving. Go to the mall, shop, go to a park when it's nice out. Do your chores, clean yeah, your do room. Do your chores, clean your rooms. All movement counts. So they they break it down into like daily activities, like ch- doing chores, gardening, walking, and then you can add in strength training, flexibility training, aerobic exercise. But you don't have to worry about all those things right off the bat. Just focus on sitting less and moving more. So I tell families that are um, homeschooling or virtual learning to set a timer. So every 45 minutes of sitting to get up and move for 10 or 15 minutes, whether you run around the block, going up and down the stairs, do a dance party, whatever, just get up and move, just stop sitting. So overall America needs to sit less and exercise more. And they actually show some benefit to just more movement overall in your day. So a lot of people will be like, Oh, I'm so disciplined. I get my 60 minutes early in the morning before I go to work, but they really want you actually moving, just moving more throughout the day. So if you can think in your mind, how can I sit less and move more? Even if you're playing a board game or doing a puzzle, every time you roll the dice and get a five, do five jumping jacks or <laughs> set a set a timer for 30 minutes of doing the puzzle and then get up and move. So just you just have to think in my mind, how could I sit less and move more? And I will tell you, I really believe that kids crave that. Oh, I, yeah, they're born to move. They're, they were born to move, not to sit. And, and they really want that activity and they want to do it with you. And we know that even just walking, that releases what I call those happiness chemicals. Yeah. So again, that this is where some of these pillars interact with each other because, you know, we were talking, one of the pillars is mental health. And so just moving your body, sitting less and moving more, you're going to find that you just feel better mentally too. Boost your mood. Yeah. For sure. It's funny you say that because I actually tell people to picture the five pillars in a circle because it's like they all they all affect the other and which came first, the chicken or the egg. So if you eat better, you're going to feel better. You want to move more. If you sleep better, you're going to want to move more. If you move more, you're going to feel better mentally. So it's just they all they kind of interconnect and they they're kind of one continuous circle and they all will actually help the other one. So if you're working in one pillar and feel like, oh, I'm not working on the other four things, you really are. Yes. And, and once you, you know, it, it, it might seem hard in the beginning, but once you get into a routine Mm -hmm. 
and really start to, like you said, kind of tackle things one thing at a time. And eventually that becomes a routine. And then you kind of go to the next thing. All of a sudden it's routine and it, it just flows. And Mm -hmm. before you know it, everybody is used to it and it is, it's not hard anymore. And I've heard an expression where you choose your hard. Mm -hmm. So you choose your hard. Is it going to be hard now trying to get into a routine, try to move and try to move more, try to nourish our family, try to work on sleep and mental health and all of the different things? Or do we suffer the fallout and the hard later? And what our kids go through when we, you know, kind of let the pieces fall apart. I think you used a wonderful expression and that is we might, it might be slippery, but we don't want to slide. Is that, I think yes, that's what you yeah, said. Don't Something like that. Turn into a slide. Yes. That's so, right. You know, we kind of make it like a little slip where we got like, we slipped off the path a little bit, but we don't have to let that turn into a full slide or a full blown avalanche. Yes. <laughs> so if we could stop our slip from turning into a slide, we're winning. So quick wins. Yeah. And that happens, you it know, does. sometimes yeah. things Life will throw stressor things and stressing things at you and you'll, there'll be a crisis or a health crisis or a trauma or something that happens. And it's natural. You just get, have a little busy season at work or with school or, and that happens. So it's like if just having enough awareness to notice, Oh, I'm slipping a little bit. Don't let it turn into a slide. Let's get right back on track. So what do you do if you have a child who just doesn't want to put down that, you know, that um, iPad or that, that game and, you know, the parents are just like, I, I don't know what else to do to get them to just put it down because mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard. Sometimes you can't, you know, force them to get up. So what would you suggest right. to families in that case? Yeah, it, that is extremely hard. And it depends on the age of the kid. So if you have younger kids, the best thing to do is to start establishing structure and routines and boundaries early so that they're already set up to know the screens go off at seven or before we can get on the screens, we have to exercise or go for a walk or move our bodies for 30 minutes. So that's really important if you have younger kids to start setting the boundaries and have structure and schedules early If you have an older child or a teen, that one's a little bit harder because you can't make them do things. So that one is going to be kind of choose your battles. Mm -hmm. So there's where I would recommend to families. Number one, you are a role model. And I've actually started using the word health leader instead of role model because I feel like that gives you so much more power. We're always role modeling, but... If you take on the stance of being, I'm a health leader for my family, that is, that just is just so much more powerful. So you can, even if they don't put down the screen, you can go exercise. You can put down the screens. You shouldn't, you can show them that where there's balance. You can have roles where we just don't have screens at the, at the dinner table. So at least, you know, like at dinner time, there's no screens. Okay. Um, so you can kind of set some boundaries and rules up that there's certain times a day where we just don't have our screens. And again, you can't make them move or exercise, but you can say, hey, I'm going for a walk. Would you go with me? If they say no, they just say no. You, you control the controllables. So with teens, you definitely have to be a health leader and you definitely have to pick your battles. But uh, but again, if you set those boundaries up early in schedules and structure, they're kind of used to it by being a teen. If you're trying to implement it into newly into a teen's life, it's going to be a little bit harder. And so you really have to kind of discern your own child because you don't want to completely like sever the relationship where you have no communication and connection. So I usually recommend to families to like two boundaries, one or three, you could do three. So one would be um, no phones at the dinner table, no okay. electronics at the dinner table to like um, 
no phones after a certain time of night. So like our bedtime is 10 o'clock, the phones and everything get turned in. And then three is having a family meeting every week where we don't have phones. Okay. So like we say every Sunday, we're having a meeting. It could be like the meeting is five minutes. Like, can you go five minutes without your phone? <laughs> of course they cannot. <laughs> I know. But um, you say every, you know, every Sunday we eat dinner at six. We were having family meeting right after dinner at seven. We don't have phones at our family meeting. You know that at least once a week you have a time to connect and to communicate with your child with their face out of the screen. Yes. Um, so I think you, I think it's reasonable to have a couple things like no phones at dinner, no phones every week at the family meeting and, you know, no phones after 10 or 11 or whatever the bedtime is. Now, typically the, you know, the parents are like, I go to sleep at 10, my kids are up till who knows. So that one's a little harder to enforce. And again, it does become like, do I enforce it and then like lose my relationship with my child? Um, but you do have to know that the screens are influencing our kids. And one of the things that I try to do too is I, I want to set them up for success as best as I can. So I, I say, at, you know, let's have a family meeting and we're going to talk about this plan and then we're going to set a date to when we're going to implement it so that the kids can sometimes prepare. But like you said, you know your family. Sometimes if you know your family, it's best to just do cold turkey then that's what you do. If you know your family and you have to prepare your child because some some kids need preparation, they need to be told this is what we're going to do ahead of time instead of just being like, okay, phones are are, are gone at ten o'clock, you know, and then they're like, wow. So I think sometimes telling them ahead of time and maybe putting it on the calendar and they're like, okay, this is when we're going to implement our new routine. But you're right. It's, you do have to choose your battles and, and, and decide, you know, you want to maintain that relationship, but also try to help them understand why you're doing it. And maybe they won't completely get it in the beginning, but if you continue to say it in a encouraging, caring and remembering that the way that we do things are not, a, it's not a punishment. It's, it's to teach them. It's, it's ways to help them and they might not get it right away, but hopefully again, if you're being that health leader, I, I love that. So I'm taking away no dessert for breakfast and being a health leader. I love yeah. that. <laughs> and, um, and so I think that that will help. It'll go a long way. It might not work, you know, one day and boom, it's like, it's perfect. The next day, it takes time to implement that. And I think as long as people understand that, they'll be more successful. Yeah, absolutely. I tell families like, this is not a one-time thing. You have to be consistent, 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 and don't give up because they really are craving consistency. They're craving boundaries. They're craving connection and communication with you. And they're banking on you not giving up. So just to get it in your head, this is going to be hard. There's going to be kickback. They're going to buck me, but I'm not giving up on this. We are having a family meeting every single Sunday, even if it's five minutes long, even if it's a total flop. <laughs> but they're going to look forward to that. Like my parents care about me enough to every single week sit down without our phones and look face to face for five minutes and have a conversation and connect. So you just keep that in your mind and don't give up. Don't get too busy. Don't get too distracted because they don't act like it. And it won't seem like it, but they need it and they will appreciate it and thank you for it later. And it builds security. Yes, it does. And this goes for any age. This is even with toddlers. So all you parents and caregivers out there that have toddlers, it it goes the same way with the consistency and not giving up. It's it's all the same and the routine because and again, it's not going to fix things overnight, but it it 
and and if you implement those things early on, it's definitely going to be easier later. Again, choose your heart. Right. You know, do you help them now so that it's a little bit easier later? Mm-hmm. And what are you building in them? You're building, if you give up, you're teaching them to give up. If you don't have consistency, you're not building resiliency in them. So that, so that all these things are also building character in them. Right. That's right. And they might not like it, but so my grandma one time said in, um, you know, better they cry than you cry. And it took me, she couldn't speak English. So it took me a little while to really understand it. And I, and I figured it out, you know, and it always helped me whenever I had to make a decision that maybe I knew they wouldn't like, but I knew it was in their best interest. I would always think about that. I was, I would always be like, better you cry than me cry, you know, and, and think, and think about it. But you're, you're right. We don't want to sever relationships, but we do have to pick our battles. And, and sometimes it's a little tougher you know, when you, when you definitely have to pick one that, you know, affects their health and safety, but sometimes just simply talking and communicating, like you said, even five minutes makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. So can we, do you think we can go on to sleep? Yeah. That's so a big one. Yes. That's a huge one. So quality <laughs> sleep is a huge pillar and it's, this one's kind of linked. Like you could use the same, I use kind of some, I use pillars within pillars, like frameworks within these systems. So like, if you talk about how, how do we get quality sleep? Well, we need to have structure and schedules, right? We need to address the amount of time on screen because the screens leading screens all the way up to bedtime affect our melatonin release. And then we don't fall asleep or stay asleep. We need to, we need to address the social media influence. Because the social media influence is making our kids anxious and then they their thoughts are racing and then they can't settle down to go to sleep. We need to assess um, stress management. So if those, I call them like the four or five S's because they kind of affect physical activity and sleep. But again, so just addressing them one at a time. But I always start, all of the pillars start with structures and schedules. If you start the framework of having structures and schedules, it looks such as like a family meeting and just setting up some structure and schedules for screen time and sleep time and bedtimes and wake up times that goes a long way for sleep because quality sleep is a big one. And I think too, again, like you said, the big circle, if they don't get good sleep, that causes a lot of, you know, anxiety and they don't focus and concentrate the next day. Again, we underestimate how, important sleep is. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned melatonin. Could you tell our listeners exactly what is melatonin and why light is a big fat, like light from screens, for example, is a big factor and why they need to shut it off. So melatonin is a hormone that helps you fall asleep and stay asleep. And it, it basically tells our brain it's nighttime. So when we look at the lights of a screen, the blue light, it's telling our it's telling our brain it's daytime, it's daytime, it's daytime, don't make melatonin. So that's why we need to turn off the screens, dim the lights, darken the room so that the brain can settle down and release melatonin. So telling our body it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. When do you recommend families shut those off? I, I mean, I prefer two hours before bed, but I realize that's so unreasonable. So, <laughs> so at least an hour, but I'll even say like, say, let's set our bedtime. It's nine o'clock. Let's start with 15 minutes before. Then we'll do 30 minutes before, then an hour before. Okay. Because like, it seems unreasonable to be like, you have to turn your screens off two hours before. What? I know. But um, I usually do an hour. And then if that seems impossible, we start at like 15 minutes before bedtime, 30 minutes, and then kind of extend it. Yeah. Again, setting them up for success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you're not like cold turkey, just jolting them with these rules. Exactly. Exactly. So do you have, have you, do you have a challenging story or anything that 
you would like to share as far as sleep or any any other tools that you would like to share with um, our families about sleep before we go on to the next pillar? I mean, sleep is a hard one because it really is kind of individualized because there's so many stories of depending on the age of your child. Right. You know, if you have toddlers and they don't want to stay in their bed and just, you know, tantrums and all the way up to teenagers who, you know, staying up to all hours and their circadian rhythms all messed up. So it kind of, that one's harder because it's really very individualized to the, to the child. But there are, there are a couple, I mean, there's a couple like books and like websites and like sleep smarter and like different things where you can go through, like, how does this pertain to my family? But there is a book that's called, this actually relates to like screen sleep and mental health, but it's called electronic screen syndrome. Oh, wow. Four weeks to reset your child's brain. It's written by Dr. Victoria Dunkley. And basically she's saying like the lack of sleep and the excessive amount of screen times is actually mimicking like mental health and behavior disorders. So kids are getting like overdiagnosed with anxiety, depression, um, oppositional defiant, ADHD, behavior issues. And really it's a result of the screen and the interference on sleep. So that would be a great tool just to read that book and realize the impact of the screens are having on our kids. And maybe you could pick up on like, maybe my child doesn't really, doesn't really have that. Maybe I just need to work on getting a sleep structure or a sleep routine. So I would recommend that book. That's a, And then that's honestly, good. depending on the age of your child. So like if you have a baby or a toddler, it's kind of a different realm. That's I, I, I thank you very much for that recommendation. Yeah. So let's go on to the next pillar, if you don't mind. So the next pillar of prioritizing mental health. So that one is huge and so huge right now. And it is like the big circle. Like they all affect each other. I know. So like when you don't sleep well, it messes up your hunger hormones. So you're actually hungrier and, and eat worse the next day. So um and you'll have energy to work out and then just or exercise or move. And so I know it's just that's kind of, probably my biggest problem. Yeah. So yeah. So um Prioritizing mental health, I mean, mental health is at an all-time high in our adults and our kids. So it's, it's we need to recognize the urgency. And um, again, it gets back to like, what can we do about it? So one is our kids absolutely need to feel safe. They need to feel, feel seen and they need to feel heard. So that's why I recommend the family meeting so strongly because that is a chance for your child to be seen heard and feel safe. So that family meeting, that structure, they can count on it every single week, every single night for that matter, creates certainty and security, but it's also a time for a family to feel safe and connected. And my parents care about me and I have a chance to communicate with them what I'm feeling. And the more you can connect with your kids, the more you might pick up on some subtle, you know, mental health, like things that are just don't seem right or, and again, it can be, it can be kind of, because our teenagers tend to like want to just be in their rooms and they, they socially isolate themselves anyways, even without COVID. <laughs> I know. And so if we just kind of have those, we you can go to your room, but we have dinner together as a family and we have our family meeting every Sunday. So they can count on this time to connect and communicate and feel seen, heard, and safe. So I think those three things go a long way with improving mental health in our kids. And this, that structure and schedule that creates certainty goes a long way with reducing stress and anxiety. Cause we like, we have, we don't know what's happening. We get up in the morning, we're late, frazzled, unprepared, running out the door. Then our kids show up at school, stressed, anxious, getting diagnosed with all these behavior issues when we could probably fix it by having a five minute meeting the night before setting up the morning for success. And then we go out to the door, go out the door, organized and in control and less anxious and less stressed. You know, I'm going to repeat that. So safe, seen and heard and, you know, that just gives me chills. And that's exactly that's it, it. It sounds simple. And I realize that it's not. But 
we need to give our parents permission to make it just that simple. It is that simple. I mean, I think sometimes we try to make things so hard when it really just comes down to taking the time to be together. And we've that seems to be that word together has come up a lot during yeah. our podcast yeah. today. Yeah. Like I see you, I hear you, you're safe here with us. Now you were talking about influences and I believe that's the last pillar, correct? Yes. So and again, like the influences affect the mental health. So the the environmental influences. So you have the physical influences, the mental influences and kind of the social influences. So just kind of cleaning up that clutter will go a long way for mental health. So for example, like, like environmental clutter, physical clutter. So like, I kind of look at it like, what are we allowing into our body that influences our body? So physical clutter could be just like, there's laundry everywhere and books everywhere and stuff all over the counter. And just when you walk in, you just feel overwhelmed and stressed. So just decluttering one area at a time will again, releases dopamine. Mm hmm. And just makes you give feel, gives you back a feeling of control, and then you automatically just have a breath like, oh, I just don't feel so overwhelmed now. So like choosing a space to make to declutter physically, um, declutter a junk drawer, fold a basket of laundry, take take five or ten minutes to just do these quick tasks of like, I always tell parents, don't put it down, put it away. And I okay. tell kids like, don't put it down, put it away. So like, if you put it down right here, and one foot away is the closet to put the shoes, uh-huh. there's so much less clutter. Okay. There's, then there's less overwhelm. There's less stress. So like physical clutter, then it kind of affects you mentally and just makes you just feel like unmotivated, not wanting to do anything. So physical clutter is huge. Um, mental clutter. So I tell families, this is a great thing to train your kids to do. I want my parents to do it. It's like when you come in the door or even I tell parents when you are, if you have a busy day at work, you're, you work full time and you're coming home to like a full house of chaos. I'm like, just pull on the driveway before you go in, just do a little brain dump. And just like wash off your day, let let go of the good, the bad, like let just journal it out and just let it all out. So you're not taking it in the house, carrying it in, carrying your work home or your stress home onto your family. So kind of do a brain dump. But this is a great thing to teach your kids to do every night, too. Like, let's just do a brain dump. OK, what do we need for tomorrow? We don't have to worry about the whole week. We don't have to worry about the whole month. We don't have to worry about what happened yesterday. Let's just dump it all out, get it all out. What's good? What's bad? And then what do we need to focus on tomorrow? Yeah, so that you're not laying down in bed and your head is spinning. And all the anxiety and all the thoughts and all the worries and all the... Yeah, and 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 I think I saw a meme one time where it was a mom was sitting in her car and just, you know, in the driveway. And she's like, is this bad that I'm sitting in here before I go in? And you're absolutely oh. right. I, I love that idea because you do need to just kind of wash that day away and then you can go in and honestly manage everything because you have to be that hero versus walking in and just then reacting versus, you know, being, being responsive and loving and and caring. So it's going to, you know, that's going to carry so much better and you're going to have a much better evening and, and don't feel guilty about taking those few minutes to do that for yourself so that you can be better for them. Yeah. Five minutes. Cause I tell people you, your kids cannot feel safe heard and seen if they're, if you're not fully engaged and present. So if you still have like all the distractions of your work day or the stress or something that happened and you're carrying it onto your kids, you're not fully engaged and present. So you want to like disengage from the one task, say your work day, and then re-engage with now I want to be fully engaged and present with my family. And then maybe I'm moving on to the next thing. Maybe I have another hat that I wear that I need to, like, I want to disengage from that and get fully engaged and present in what I'm doing the next task. Maybe it's my kids go to bed 
now I want to be fully engaged in, in fully engaged and present with my spouse or my partner. Um, so instead of being just distracted and not, not really a hundred percent present with anything you're doing. And then helping your child brain dump can help them then be ready and present to be able to go to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Declutter Mm -hmm. their mind. Yeah. Declutter their mind. What happened today? What was good? What was bad? Let's run through like, what do you have for tomorrow? Homework. Let's pack our backpacks. Let's get everything ready so that when you go to bed, you're like, oh, I feel prepared for the next morning instead of stressed out. Like I forgot something or I never got a chance to talk to mom about what happened today. And so I just tell people it's five minute miracles. Five minutes in the before you pull in, sit in the driveway. <laughs> five minutes brain dump with your kids, get them prepped for the next day. Five minutes in the morning, giving them some positivity and some protein. <laughs> like you can do everything in a little five minute burst. Five minutes to declutter a drawer, declutter your mental space, declutter your physical space. And then, yeah, the other influence that's huge is the influence of what we're letting in, what we watch, what we listen to, and what we read. So, like, what are we letting influence us social media-wise and news-wise? And I'm like, if we want to combat COVID and decrease stress, just, like, stop reading the news. Stop watching it. Stop listening to it. Stop reading social media. It's easier said than done, and it's hard, but it will it will just do so much for your health and your mental wellness that just have to like catch yourself. I don't need to be reading this right now. I don't need to be watching this right now. This is not like filling my brain with positivity. And then again, that carries over onto our kids. Yes. And and at any age, because even the little ones, you know, two-year-olds are watching the YouTube and and seeing what and watch if you're if you're going to allow them to watch something, watch it with them so that you can see what they're actually doing because they will mimic what they see. And it's the same for adults. When we see things, it does. It fills us with fear and doubt and questions that we don't even know are true. And many times because of the fact that there's freedom of speech, anybody can say anything. So, and I like to tell families, and I said this in a previous podcast, that if you are are following someone on social media or, or, and they don't, and it doesn't make you feel good. Don't, don't do that. Don't follow them anymore. Don't, don't read that anymore. And so, and I haven't watched the news in a very long time for that reason. (laughs) And the social influence, social media influence is so powerful on our kids and our teens. And we just need to recognize the power of that. That is more powerful than we are at this point. And so again, it's hard to have those boundaries, but I think if you start early enough, you can start stopping some of that influence. And it's all inputs. Like, what are we letting in? What are we letting into our kids, like, physically with food? What are we letting in mentally? What are we letting in social media-wise? And there's a um, – they actually, AAP has – healthychildren.org has the social media action plan, the yes. family social media action plan. We can link it up in the show notes because it's a great – like, you can – you just click on it, and then you put the ages of your kids, even infancy and toddlers, and it, it pops out a whole – family action media plan for your family of like boundaries. And if you're just not sure where to start or what to do, it's fantastic. And there's another one. Um, it's a digital initiative. And that one actually is really good for teens. I'll send you the link to that because that actually gives you a lot of help with like help putting more digital boundaries and like getting more control of the screens and the social media influence on our preteens and teens. Because as being our, the health leader, you know, or the health model of our families, we want to be, we want to be the influence for them and have, and, and, you know, so I, it's, it's like shifting that. 
so that it's coming from, you know, within versus from their environment. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I know I learned a lot from this and uh, I know that our, our audience has definitely taken away some tools and I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge today. And I hope you'll come back and we can talk some more uh, about keeping our families healthy and happy and strong and, you know, building those relationships within the family that is so, so important. And what we know kids are um, craving and as parents, we want nothing more than that. So thank you for again, Dr. Michelle Levitt. And remember all of you to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your shows. Oh, yeah,